If you don't have a Bible, then let's get Bibles into everybody's hands. If you're visiting today, you didn't know to bring your Bible, that is fine. We have plenty of Bibles to hand out or you can share with someone that did bring one. But if you need a Bible, just raise your hand nice and high, real high. And I would encourage you, don't be embarrassed. Uh, I would encourage you to get a Bible so that we can go through God's Word together and you can uh, read it for yourself. And those of you that have your Bibles, uh, the uh, second chapter of the Gospel of John is where we'll be. Gospel of John chapter 2. Let's pray and we'll open up our Bibles. Father, as we come to your word again, Lord, my prayer uh, for our congregation is that, that in these last days, Lord, that um, love would abound more and more and, and even more, that we would never just become settled, Lord, that we would never just feel that we've arrived, that we would all be, always be striving, Lord, to love more, to sacrifice more, to live selflessly more, to love unconditionally more, more and more. Lord, we know that you, there's still more of us you can squeeze out so you can squeeze in yourself just a little bit more. And so we're just opening up our hearts to you, Lord, not worshiping you, I pray, with just our mouths, as, as many may do this day, Lord. But hopefully that, that our hearts would be aligned with what we say. That even if we're not there yet, Lord, that, that you know that's where we want to be. It really is, Lord. We, you know the challenges we face. You know the cares and affairs of the world. You know the struggles we have. And, and Lord, I pray that you also know our hearts, the genuineness, the sincerity, um, that we want to be people after your own heart, Lord. We want to be lights uh, shining in, in the dark, dark age, Lord. So, Lord, use your word to teach us more about yourself, more about ourselves, and just to build us up, Lord. We just need to be strengthened. And so we pray that you do that today in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Gospel of John chapter 2, the first miracle recorded uh, by John. Actually, the first miracle, it's only recorded in the Gospel of John, interestingly enough. The, uh, the turning water into wine. Now, before we actually look at John chapter 2, and we're going to go through this fairly quickly, and I know you're saying, yeah, you've said that before, Steve. Uh, but I really do want to leave plenty of time for communion. So just turn, hold your, your finger there in John chapter 2 and just go over to John chapter 20. Because it's important to remember if somebody writes something to you and they tell you why they've written it, it's important to know why they've written it, right? So John told us why he's included the things that he has in his gospel. And it's right there in chapter 20, verse 30. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So there's a lot of things that could have been recorded in the Gospel of John. But only select things were recorded. He says, there were many other things that he did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, Many of you here this morning are already, you've already said, I believe. Some of you were baptized just Thursday, saying, I believe. And yet some of you are here saying, you know, I'm not sure. I still, I, you know, I don't believe. I'm not there yet. Well, this gospel is for you. And what John is trying to do is he's trying to plead with you and, and demonstrate to you and the only way he can is by recording the things that he witnessed. And this first miracle, the turning water into wine, is one of those things that he recorded why? So you would believe. 
Believe what? Well, back to John chapter 1, actually. We're just kind of flip-flopping around to set set the stage here. John chapter 1, we began with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And John chapter 2, this first section, is an illustration of that truth. Pretty simple. So let's go to John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. So Cana is a very, very, very small village. Uh, Nazareth, also where Jesus grew up, was also a very small village, maybe 500 or a small town, maybe 500 people, even less in Cana of Galilee. They're only a few miles apart, these two places. So people would know each other naturally. If you, you know, Fluvanna is 26,000 people, and I can't, I can barely go to Food Lion and not see a few people that I know. Or you go to the dog, I I go into the Dogwood to have lunch or something, and all the people that I know. And that's in a a town or a a community of 26,000. Imagine if there were 500 people. Imagine how easy it would be to know everybody. They were very small. So Evidently, Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, was, was at this wedding. Uh, why was she invited? Who was getting married? People speculate. Was it Nathaniel that was getting married? Was it John that was getting married, the, the, the writer of the, the gospel? We don't know for sure. Anything uh, to try to figure that out would just be speculation. But it's been three days since uh, this interaction that was with uh, Philip and Nathaniel, and now they've come to, to around the Sea of Galilee is where Cana is. And they've come to this wedding. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So it could have been family, friends. uh, But I think it's just generally a good idea to invite Jesus to your wedding, don't you? I've been to a lot of weddings where Jesus was definitely not invited. And if you don't want him at your wedding, then why would you want him in your life? You know, one of the hardest things pastors do, there's a lot of hard things we do, but one of the hardest things we do is weddings. And that's because there are always expectations and there are always difficult issues and uh, to work through and you're trying to discern and and help the couple go through you know kind of what's the foundation of your life going to be and the question I always ask is is when because I get calls I've been in in the community for about 18 years and I coach soccer and so now some of the kids I coached in soccer and some of the young girls I was their horseshoer now they're getting to marrying age and so I get the phone call that says hey can you can I'm getting married I I live over here and I'm getting married and and you know can you marry us because you're the only guy I know who's a pastor and and so would you do it and I say well you know are you going to church you know well no not really but you know we've talked about it but no we we're not going and well you know so I ask a series of questions and usually then I say well do you want a Christian life is that what are you do you want a Christian marriage and and then I'd like to be part of that to do counseling and to make sure that that's what they want but oftentimes I'll say you know I'm a Christian pastor and so I do a distinctly Christian wedding that means I could make you say things and make you make promises that maybe you don't believe and I wouldn't want to lead you to lie in front of God. So, and usually they'll say, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, we didn't, we didn't consider that one. You know, the other guy just said he would do it for 100 bucks. you know, whatever. But I don't do it that way. Uh, because, you know, because n- not everybody wants Jesus in their life and not everybody wants Jesus in their wedding. So there's, 
the, the world has its methods. It has, the, you know, you can have a justice of the peace. Uh, one guy said, I, I got married by the justice of the peace, and it was um, the, big, the biggest idiosyncrasy because I, after I got married, I, I didn't have either justice or peace. But that's, that's another story. But the world has it. And so we're, we're the church, and, and we, I perform a Christian wedding, and, and I want to make sure that Jesus, a wedding is a, is a worship, a time of worship. And so I love that they, they invited Jesus to the wedding, and his disciples were invited to the wedding too. And in some ways, we also, I like to invite Jesus' disciples to the wedding. I love to invite Peter, and we'll read something from, from one of Peter's letters, or I love to in, invite you know, Matthew, and we'll read something out of the Gospel of Matthew. And that's the way we sort of invite uh, also the disciples to a wedding. So they're all at the wedding, uh, and, and one might, it's interesting too that Jesus has time for a wedding. You know, you might think he gets the wedding invitation, he goes, oh geez, I don't have time for this. I'm, the save, I'm busy saving the world, you know, I got things to do. I'm the Messiah. I don't have time for a, a wedding. Who do they think I am? But isn't it interesting that Jesus made time for a wedding? He made time for a, a social celebratory gathering. And I think it's important for you too, and for me too, to develop human relationships by sometimes saying yes to an invitation that you might not have time for. I mean, all our lives are so busy, aren't they? And we get invitations, we get a lot of invitations, and, and especially sitting where I sit, I get a lot, a lot of invitations. So don't be offended if I don't take you up on your invitation, but I try to when I can to, to make time personally, because I know rela- human relationships are important. And so Jesus participates, makes time out of his busy, if, if, if anybody can have a busy schedule, it'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? And so he makes time to go to this wedding. And then something happens at the wedding. Everybody's celebrating. A Jewish wedding could last a week. Uh, that's a long wedding. Imagine the bill for that one, dads. Uh, that's a long, and, and so, but something happens. Verse 3 says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. This is like uh, earth-shattering. I mean, now, again, you have to remember that in that culture, wine was the drink that most people, most people drank because their water wasn't purified. They didn't have Aqua Virginia purifying the water. So the water, if any of you have ever traveled overseas, you know the first thing they tell you, don't drink the water in a lot of places. Not everywhere, but in a lot of places. The water can make you very, very sick. Uh, and so uh, they would mix the water with wine in different proportions depending, you know, sometimes 10, to, 10 parts water to one part wine. So it wouldn't get you drunk necessarily, but uh, it would sort of kill any bacteria that could harm you. So just because you know, they're drinking wine at the wedding, hey, it was a celebration. They didn't have a problem celebrating, uh, but this was the drink that they, they drank in normal everyday life as well. So keep that in mind, culturally speaking. So they, they run out of wine. This was the height of embarrassment at a celebration. This was, you know, it's like running out of coffee at church fellowship. You just don't do that. You know, there's no coffee? Are you kidding me? And so somehow Mary evidently is, is, takes it upon herself. If maybe it was, you know, again, a family member. And, and she, she knows where to go, at least. She comes to Jesus. I mean, she's raised this kid. She knows that he's got a lot of answers. And she tells him that they have no wine. And this is why many people pray to Mary. There, there's, in the Catholic Church, they say, well, you know, you pray to Mary because she can bend Jesus' ear. Well, what they fail to read, I think, is the next verse, which 
Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I'm not sure they're familiar with that verse. Uh, The beautiful thing is we can go directly to Jesus. We don't have to go and to to have somebody uh, interceding between us and him. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus. So I'm not sure, you know, how they they work that out. But a a lot of people uh, take note of the fact that Jesus calls her woman. Which seems a a little disrespectful, doesn't it, to his mom. His woman. What does your concern have to do with me? I mean, in other words, uh, what, what... what do, we, what do we have in common in this thing? I mean, why, why should your concern concern me? And he calls her woman, and it seems that what is happening here is in, in Matthew 12, they told Jesus, hey, Jesus, your, your, your mother and, and brothers are at the door wanting to talk to you. And what did he say? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It's the one that, that hear the word of God and, and obey it. That's my family. And so he's sort of transcending here. He's not, not connecting himself it doesn't say, oh, mom, you know, really, do I have to? He's, now he's concerned with not his mother's will, but his father's will. That's what he's about. He's grown up. He, he's not under her authority. He's, one, he's always going to be about the business of the Lord. And he says, what does your concern have to do with me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Um, what does he mean by that? Well, a few other places we'll see this show up. We'll just page real quickly. John chapter 7. Just, you can page right over there, John chapter 7. The first few verses, he, verse 4, it says, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you, Jesus, do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come. So there's another place where it's not time yet. Not time for what? Not time for him to be revealed as openly and outwardly uh, as the Son of God and the, the Messiah in, in that public way. That will happen. He'll, he'll enter Jerusalem triumph, as, the, as the king triumphantly. He'll be crucified. Uh, he'll, he'll be resurrected. And so we'll see that as we go through here. Look at John chapter 8. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Ah, I think I'm reading in the wrong place here. Now I'm having a hard time finding it. Somewhere in John chapter 8 is is another reference to, you'd think I'd have written it down, wouldn't you have? But, well, let's keep going. We'll come back to that. But if you, you can go home for homework, you can read John chapter 8. And you can see where he says again, uh, my time has not yet come. Now go over to chapter 12. Verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he references, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. So he's speaking of his death. That's part of his, his glory is his death. And then in, in John chapter 13, just a page over, um, he said, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. So again, the hour for him to depart. And then again in John chapter 17, but we don't have to go there. So the hour, has, it's not time, he says, hey, it's not time 
for me to be uh, recognized openly. That's going to happen. God has his timing, doesn't he? How many of you have tried to press God's timing in your lives? How many of you have found out that's a fruitless uh, ordeal to press God's timing? So Jesus says, hey, my time has not yet come. So you think that would be the end of the story. Okay, you know, Jesus, can, can you help us out? You know, she has no idea what he's going to do, but just knows that she can go to him for help, which, by the way, I want to remind you, we talked about prayer. What does the Bible say to you and to me? It says, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. You might think, you know, no wine at a wedding. You know, again, I'm the Savior. I got bigger things to worry about than whether or not you've got wine at your wedding, right? And you might think that about whatever it is you've been worried about. Jesus has better things to worry about than what I've got going on. You know, I pray for other people. Other people have real needs, but not me. You can take him, he says, cast, Peter says, cast all. How many is all? All. In the Greek, you know what all means? All. It means all. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So you can do that too. Uh, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So we don't know what's going to, you know, he's kind of said, well, my hour's not come. And then she sort of, Okay, she kind of steps out of it here, verse 5, and, she, and it gives great advice, though. I think verse 5 is great advice, don't you? So she says, whatever he says to you, do it. I mean, Nike has nothing on, on Jesus, nothing on Mary. Whatever, look, this is, boil down the Christian life. The Christian life is not that hard. Whatever he says to you, do it. Don't argue, don't ask questions, don't second think it, don't, don't out, you know, reason it. Just if he said it, and you believe it, and if you don't believe it, do it anyway. Just obey. Trust and obey, the song says, for there's no other way. Trust me. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So whatever he says, do it. Is there something that Jesus is telling to, to you to do right now, and you know it, but you're resisting it? And you know it's the right thing to do, and, and it has to do with forgiveness, or it has to do with reconciliation, or it has to do with some task that you're, you're something that you are fearing, whatever it is, and you know that you know that it's what you're supposed to do, but you're scared. Take Mary's advice. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. But what if, but what if? We get what if syndrome. You ever had that what if syndrome? What if, what if this and what if that? Don't worry about what if. That's not your job, what if. Your job is to obey and let him worry. That puts the ball in his court. That opens up the, the line for Jesus to work in your life when you just do what he says. And then, then you'll find out what if. So what, what is he going to do? What, what happens next? Now, verse 6 says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons a piece so six pots 30 gallons 180 gallons is my math right i get nervous up here so help me out is that 180 gallons of of water uh, and so he says these are purification they had all kinds of rituals for purification before they ate and during the meal that all these ritual purifications where they'd cleanse their hands and in different ways and so this was this was purification water this wasn't drinking water so he says, there's six pots, 30 gallons apiece, 180 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. 
uh, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. They didn't need water, they need wine, but we'll do it, okay? And, and they filled them up to the brim. So they obeyed fully. They didn't just kind of, well, we'll put a little water in. We're not really, you do that. You are, you are, we do that, half obedience, right? We used to tell our kids, uh, slow obedience is no obedience. And, and also partial obedience is not obedience. When he said fill up the water pots, they said, okay, how full? And they filled them up as full as they could get them. Because when Jesus says something to you, you're not sure, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Any of you like that? I don't, I don't want to go all the way. I want to just be sort of, I'll do a little bit, but I don't want to go all the way. But they filled them up all the way. Greater the obedience, greater the miracle. Fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. They didn't argue or complain or say, now tell us how this is going to work. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Oh, that is a tall order. Now they're about to take to the maitre d' or the master of the feast hand-washing water to drink, as far as they know. So they're like, take it to the master. Are you kidding me? Take it to the master of the feast? I mean, he's going to kill us if he, if he drinks this. He's going to you know, spit it out. And what are you guys thinking? Are you guys idiots? You know, what are you doing? This took faith, didn't it? So they, he says, draw some out now. I did a little research on winemaking, by the way. And, and let me just say this before we talk about winemaking. I want to let you know that, that by turning water into wine, Jesus is not condoning drunkenness. Okay, just because to the pure, all things are pure. But to those people that want to justify their, their sinfulness, they'll find any verse they can to do it. This is not a justification for drunkenness. Just because Jesus turns water into wine, a, a drink that they drank, it doesn't mean that that's, well, see, Jesus turned water into wine. Let's go party. That's not what he's saying. There's something else going on here, and I'll tell you what that is in just a second. It takes 100 pounds of grapes for five to seven gallons of wine. Did you know that? 100 pounds of grapes. Now, there's no grapes in sight here, are there? Now, how long does it take to make wine? And do you ever make wine from water? No, you make wine from grapes. Where do grapes come from? They grow on vines. It takes a long time to grow a vineyard full of grapes. They've got to start as seeds, and you've got to grow them up. And so this process of making wine in human terms takes a long time, doesn't it? Then it has to age and so on and so forth. But Jesus does it in an instant. And, and let's read on a little bit more, and we'll, we'll see what's going on here. So he says, draw some out now and take it to the master of feast. And they took it. And when the master, they're trembling there. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine. So somehow when they scooped it out, it became wine. They didn't say, now let cap it, let it age for a while. But was it good wine? You know, was it just watered down, kind of nasty tasting? Uh, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. Ah, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, the servants of God know. Those that are serving God, we know why stuff is happening. Other people may not understand, but we know why because we've been part of it. We've been watching him do miracles. We've been participating in, in these things. And so we know why. And so he brings the wine, uh, the water made wine. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Is he in trouble? No. Verse 10 says, he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. 
So it's the bridegroom who gets the glory uh, out of the whole thing. And, and what was his th- He has no stock in trying to prove who Jesus is. And what does he taste the stuff? Wow, where did you, you've been sitting on that. Where did you get that? That is good wine. I like that. Because it's so out of character. Because at the beginning, you know, people serve uh, the good stuff at the beginning. And then later on, it's like nobody cares anymore. And you serve whatever. And, and it doesn't really matter. But it seems to, to the master of the feast that this guy has saved the best for last. Now, what's, what's interesting to me is that Jesus did in an instant what can take years to do on an earthly time frame. And how many of you have ever had that conversation with somebody about, did God really create the world in six days? You ever had that discussion? Okay, well, this is a good verse to go to. Because here, clearly, Jesus uh, reproduces a lengthy human process in an instant. And when he makes the wine, it's fully aged, it's fully prepared, and it's good. So, I don't know, just, just the thought I had as you look back and say, well, can God create uh, the world in six days? Well, we look at it from a human standpoint, say, well, it looks like it's this old, it looks like it's that old. Well, is it not possible that God created things fully mature and fully formed so that we would look at it and say, well, that's really old? Just something to think about. But I like this about uh, Jesus, that, that the wine that he makes is better than what they had at the beginning. And we're about to partake of communion. And we're about to partake. Well, we don't serve wine here. We serve grape juice because we're sensitive to folks that do wrestle with addictions. And there's quite a number of you in here, I know. Um, but sometimes we think that the best, that, that earth is the place where it's, where it's at. You know, that, that this is where everything good happens. Let me tell you something. Jesus saves the best for last. You know, you know the story about the Baptist fellowship where they're having dessert together and, and they always say, save your fork. You've heard that story? You know, save your fork, save your fork. Why? Because the best is yet to come. Dessert is always comes after dinner. And you so you save your fork. Why? Because the, the best is yet to come. And one woman, she wanted to be buried with her fork. She said, bury me with holding a fork. Why? Because she said, I know the best is yet to come. So if I could invite the folks that are going to serve communion to, or, or Phil, if you would come up and the folks could prepare themselves to serve communion. Jesus has proven, uh, I think, what he said in, in, what was said of him in John chapter 1, that all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Don't you think? I mean, this is uh, pretty, pretty fair proof that he can make something from, from something that's, that's not usually made from. It's, it's miraculous. It's a creative miracle. And I believe this also. Again, as we, as we share communion, we break bread together. I believe that Jesus can, can take water and turn it into wine. He can take ashes and bring beauty. He can take mourning and, and bring the oil of joy. He's just able to do that. Now, as the communion is being passed around, uh, what we do is we take both parts, the, the bread and the cup, and we just hold on to them. We all partake together. Uh, if you are, and I want, I'd like to do this. We've got a couple of empty seats up here. The folks that were baptized Thursday that are in here, adults or kids, uh, if you were baptized on Thursday, I just want you to, to come and just sit right down here in the front if you would do that. I know, it's kind of embarrassing. If, you, if you're here with a husband or, or family or wife, and you can come down together. 
but just come down here and sit in the front because we want to serve you first. And we want to say welcome to the family. Because this is our family meal. You can throw my bag off to the side there. So these guys have just been baptized. And again, we want to say welcome to the family officially and invite you to eat first at the table of the Lord today as a, as a blessing and a treat and an honor. Uh, those of you that are here that maybe have never taken the step, you've never been baptized, you've never outwardly confessed a belief in Jesus Christ, then you're going, well, now you're sweating, going, oh, we're about to serve him, what do I do? Hey, listen, no sweat. If, if you're not saved, if you're not a believer, if you're still trying to work this stuff out, just when the plate comes by you, just pass it on to the next person. No one's going to look cross-eyed at you. or They're going to say, hey, you know, well, no one's going to say anything to you, but what I'm going to say is maybe today is the day of your salvation. We want to invite you to the table. The only thing that's keeping you from fellowship with God is your choice not to receive his forgiveness and acceptance. That's the only thing. He wants you to come. He's inviting you to come. So if it, but if you're not there yet, we understand. We're glad you're here, but just let the cup and the bread pass by. But for those of you that are saved, we're here to remember the Lord, aren't we? So let's do that now.